Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 565. Today is Friday, August 29th. Um, I'm going to be performing just outside of Detroit tonight, and then tomorrow Pittsburgh, and then Sunday just outside of Chicago for the Oddball Comedy Fest. Oddballfest.com for tickets. Folks like Sarah Silverman and Bill Burr and me and Hannibal Burris. And uh, it's fun. It's a good tour. You should come out. Venues are big. The venues are real big. <laughs> Almost scarily big. Uh, but fun. Maybe I should crowd surf to the back of an amphitheater. Nah, someone would drop me because they'd think it was funny. And it would be funny. So that's why I won't let that, that's why I won't let that happen. Uh, but, uh, hey, we just launched a new podcast, the official Sleepy Hollow podcast called Sleepy Cast, hosted by Clark Wolf. The first episode just came out. Orlando Jones is on it. The executive producer is on it, showrunner. And uh, we're going to be putting new episodes of that up every Tuesday. So if you're a Sleepy Hollow uh, fan, then you should probably listen to Sleepy Cast. Or if not... Listen to it anyway, and then watch the show, huh? Go in the back door, the, do the old podcast back door in a TV show. Why don't you? Um, this episode is the Dowdle Brothers, who directed the film uh, As Above, So Below, which comes out today, Friday, August 29th. Um, John Eric and Drew Dowdle, and uh, super nice guys uh, who've directed some uh, other horror movies like Quarantine and Devil, and and so uh, yeah, so this movie comes out today, and uh, here's the podcast for it. I'm talking really fast because I'm I have to get to the show tonight. It's uh, you know the, the the travel schedule is a bit of a neck breaker. Although I did not that you asked, but I did sleep a lot more last night than I had in a really long time. I had a week of like. Four-hour nap bonanza, basically, is what it felt like, as opposed to getting sleep. Uh, my sleep schedule felt like naps. So I'm back on now, and uh, here you go, the Nurse Podcast number 565, with the Dowdle Brothers. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the podcast. Are, are, are you guys on, are you on a crazy, oh, are these my glasses or are those yours? These are mine. Do you have the same ones? Similar glasses. The good ones, huh? These, I don't have glasses like yours. <laughs> I know. Get out. I'm not quite as snazzy as you two. <laughs> Drew's dating a costume designer and, uh, oh. and he's very snazzy. She was not responsible for my glasses. Though. No, no you can, can be honest can, about I, it. It's I can, fine. Can, Give her some. I can make some good decisions on my own. No, you can't. You have to. <laughs> no, that's true. Drew's snazzy. In, in all fairness, he was snazzy before she showed up. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you on a whirlwind press tour at the moment? We are, yeah, kind of, yeah. a little bit. It's you been know, active. It's... We were in Paris. We did a lot of it in the catacombs in Paris, which was fun. It must be yeah. nice to travel with your brother. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. It's, it makes it's nice fun. doing all of this. Were you, you being know. sarcastic right now? <laughs> no, no. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> be like, it's really great. <laughs> I can't fucking take another minute of this. Wait for this to be over. Do we have to work together and travel together? I had to grow up with you? I'm going to your face. No, we took a vacation, what, the week before last? We took a vacation apart from each other for a week, which was... uh... Which we rarely do. It's like yeah. we're, we're kind of together twenty four seven. It feels weird. It does feel weird. weird. You know, it's maybe necessary once a year to spend yeah. a week apart. <laughs> so how do you how do you work in terms of if you're direct if 
I I, I flip flop and I think oh it'd be great like having a brother to do, to work with could either be amazing or it could be or it could just be a huge pain in the ass because. Then if you start arguing about something work-related, it can very quickly devolve into something that, that's very personal. And how does, it, how does it not, like, how do you keep the lines separate? I think we, we try very hard not to do that, you know. And, uh, you know, I think typically, like, if we're not getting along, I, I usually feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious or I'm worked up about something stupid. Yeah, and, there's and, a reason for it. I mean, in filmmaking, you have to have partners. I mean, you, it's a very hard thing to do in a vacuum, I think. Having a partner that you're related to, I mean, we can read each other's minds most of the time, so it's very convenient. Yeah, often we'll both respond to a, uh, an email with the exact same words, like <laughs> top to bottom, and send it out at the exact same moment. But you're not twins. No, no, no very not much. But you not. have yeah. the twin connection somehow. I thought that was only the creepy twin bond. Yeah, no, it's... no, we've had a couple like moments uh, of like true twin bond. Yeah. And, uh... If Drew burns his arm, do you f- to go my arm somewhere <laughs> in another part of the? You know, it's funny. He almost got in a car accident once, and I was I was uh, taking a nap in the middle of the day in Los Angeles, and he was in Minnesota, and I woke up like like terrified, like something just happened to Drew, and I called and left a message like. He, you know, spun out on the freeway and just missed, like, two other cars, and, and I called him, like, a minute later. You yeah. either sensed it or you caused it. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, that never occurred to me. Dream I like the idea that I caused it. It was my dream, my powerful dream. Do you know, I think that would actually make a really interesting story. Based on the old, um, like, the Time Life book series, like, Mysteries of the Unknown, where it's like, a woman is asleep in one and mile, 2,000 miles across her sister, and she senses... That it'd be really interesting if if uh, two siblings discovered that they had this kind of like weird connection, and mm-hmm. that it was almost like a parasitic connection, and one could absorb the other's like psychic energy, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they basically just start like this, and their relationship begins great, mm-hmm. but then they just start. Uh, it's just this this tug of war of who's ultimately, and then it kind of turns into like a. Think of like um, a road trip meets scanners. All right, is that, is that, does that work? That. Does that work somewhere? I love that. Yeah, Should we pitch that? Yeah. Someone write that down. Road trip meets. Don't actually write that down, Kyle. All right. Is Michael Ironside still alive? I'm pretty sure. Okay, good. We'll get him. Um, what, Minnesota, by the way. Are you from Minneapolis? Uh, St. Paul. Saint You're Paul. from St. Paul. Sort of same diff. Yeah. Kind and, of the same diff. In Minnesota. They, if I were to say, if I were to say like, oh, same thing, people are like, hey, you watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> in Minnesota, <laughs> they would, yeah. Because yeah. So, yeah. I know they're not the same at all. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, think Minneapolis, I think Minneapolis, St. Paul, I think that whole area is, is fucking amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, yeah. yeah. We love it's it. It's such a, I, I can only, I imagine there's probably a hotbed of creative activity because it's too fucking cold to do anything else for a large That's exactly right. We always I think, say that yeah. too. This, people are just cooped up for so much of the year that, you know, it breeds a lot of creativity. It breeds, so, breeds a lot of weirdos. Weirdos you know, too, yeah. like, you know, you got the Coen brothers, you have Bob Dylan, you have Prince. Terry, Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. You know, you have the a lot best. of these, these really weird. Neil Gaiman. Who's that? Neil Gaiman lives in Minnesota. He's obviously not from. He's not American, but Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman lives in Minnesota. As well. Cool, okay. cool. Um, so it's a it's a good. I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could take a, an eight month winter. No, it's awful. No. We, there's a reason we live here now. <laughs> we love it there. We love to visit, but it's uh, it's not you know, so yeah, like time. So what's the uh, what what is the film scene like in Minneapolis at the moment? It used to be a lot stronger. It's it's coming back. It it had, I don't know. It had a big lull here. It had some tax incentive issues where other states were just so much more, you know, advantageous to shoot in. Um, so it had nothing going on for a while. But it's coming back. Yeah, and yeah, do you, not great. Do you yeah, shoot? Do you guys shoot there? No, no, we've never we, shot there. Yeah. No, we shot. Uh, we shot as above in Paris. We shot the coup in Thailand. We, you know, we're. Shot in Toronto and shoot all the So there are out. not catacombs under Minneapolis? Am I to understand? <laughs> you know, let's do that. That'd be pretty amazing. You actually, did they let you shoot in the catacombs? Yeah, in the real they thing. They did, yeah. yeah. We pushed and pushed and we refused to have a backup plan and we, you know, we just uh, kept beating the drum yeah. like, it needs to be the real thing. You know, we don't want to build this, you know, you can't, 
fake something that that historic and yeah. and you're not gonna go to paris and then build the catacombs on a stage that seemed ridiculous but that seems yeah. like a trim that's a double waste of money yeah that's getting just, everyone to paris <laughs> and then renting a stage yeah. you could literally you could just do that here where, yeah, where we know. are right now you exactly. could just put a bunch of skulls in this hallway <laughs> exactly yeah. no, the french were kind to us they let us i mean the the bureaucracy of paris didn't exactly move very fast but we ultimately got the permissions we needed mm-hmm. how Sanctioned is running around the catacombs. Is it not allowed at all? No, it's illegal. There's there's the public like tour of the catacombs, and uh, and then everything else is sort of illegal. And uh, so yeah, we shot in both in both sections, and and neither of them had ever had a film shoot there before. So we shot in the in the public and in the you know. Um, you know, we went through like at one point we went through like a hole like this big and like underground and and how deep does it go? Like six or eight stories yeah. in some parts. So most of what we shot was six stories underground. Yeah. So it was We brought a piano down there. We brought like okay, I mean we did all kinds of crazy shit down there. And and you know, there's no bathrooms, there was no you know, there's nothing, no electricity, you know. No, you just have to pee on some poor old French dead guy. <laughs> exactly. fr- you have to soil everything that he was with your waste. <laughs> the Parisian government let us shoot this the off limits section of the catacombs, which is illegal. They let they finally gave us permission, but they said we couldn't show how you get in because they didn't want us to, you know, spark any additional people going to check it out. So we, we went to basically the location you get in and we, you know, dug a hole a hundred feet away from where the real hole is. And we went in there on the same train track. So it's <laughs> essentially the same exact spot, but 30 feet away. And they said that worked for them. What was the creepiest thing you saw? Um, you know, I think that first time going through the hole in this, this train bridge and then, you know, you're underground and, you know, like crawling on all fours and then you're in water up to your chest and, and like that for me, like that really freaked me out, you know, to be submerged in water with like, you know, maybe a foot and a half, two feet of air, like above your oh, head. Oh, like, that does not sound. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't cool. I was like, this, this isn't okay. This is really clean water, right? It is actually like, you would think it was disgusting, but you know, it was actually, you know, it was rainwater. It was totally clear, like glass and. You know, once you started stepping in it, then it would kick up dirt. But, you know, it was, it was actually, I think it was quite clear. Yeah, we shot in another section, too, where these, these monks were cloistered back in, like, the 15th century for their whole lives. They would live down there. And they still keep these, like, mannequins and, you know, monk robes kind of always lurking behind corners. So when you'd walk through the dark and you'd walk past one, it would always appear as if it's jumping out. At it you was just that, there. The stuff's just down it's there. It's just down there, yeah. Yeah. So there's all sorts of artifacts that they can't... I guess you yeah. would get super arrested if you if you tried to take anything from the catacomb. <laughs> People yeah. do, though. People go on the public tour and you know walk out with a femur or a skull. You know, People yeah. do it all the time. Is it, is, is it that it's unsafe? Why do they not, why do they not let people go further that, down? I think they just... you know, uh, There's kind of this like underground... Uh, cataphile, you know, world, and they, you know, they have raves down there. They have a cinema down there that sort of moves around and disappears, and and then the cops come down, and you know, I, I think it's, I think the people are dangerous maybe to themselves down there more than the spaces, you know. It's really easy to get lost in there too. I mean, if you if you're not with someone who really knows it, so I'm sure a lot of teenagers go down there without anyone who really knows where they're going and, you know, need to be rescued. Your skyways in Minneapolis are very similar to yes. the catacombs. We've always yeah. wanted to use the skyways Line them film. with skulls. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't give me the sequel. <laughs> As above, so above. <laughs> Minneapolis. Keep coming across really nice bums, yeah. you know. This is the, it's just all the weird, like, advert billboards. I, I, I'm so... I'm so delighted by the Skyway system. Is that, is that what you is it called? Yeah, Skyway yeah, Skyway, yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, the idea that you could you could get from one section of downtown to another section of downtown and, and just be indoors. There's something really charming it's, about that to me, and kind of cozy. There is. It's kind of amazing. I worked actually in downtown Minneapolis my first year off after college, and <clears throat> I could pull right into my underground garage at my office and not even wear a coat, and you know, get anywhere downtown and. I mean, people would go for weeks at a time without stepping outside. There's a giant adult store downtown, and I can't remember what it's called. Shinders? No, sh- yeah, Shinders was one. It's one where I, I went inside, and there yeah. was a giant... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either Shinders or O'Flaherty's, <laughs> or it's uh, the Puss Cave, Shinders. or... Uh, well, there's uh, Tiddlywinks, and uh, then there's also Peekaboobs. God, I don't know. I mean, those are the first nine off the top of my head. Uh, but there, the one that I went into was... Uh, 
there was a giant dick that had a saddle on it, <laughs> and you could take your you could get your picture taken uh, on this rodeo dick. Basically, I don't know what else to call it. That's amazing. Uh, but it was enormous. Like the store, the, the store was enormous, and uh, it was really fun. It's it also really great. fun to go into a place like that and you walk in and you're riding on the dick, and someone's like, "Hey, are you Chris Hardwick?" Like, oh. Yes, I seem to be. <laughs> and here I am riding a giant dick in It's probably harder for you to ride a giant dick than us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for watching. <laughs> Please don't watch now. <laughs> so wh- wh- when did you guys get out? When did you guys when did you escape St. Paul? Gosh, 95. I I went to NYU and then I moved out here after that. So Yeah, I went back for one year after college and then moved to New York. So for me it was 98. <laughs> What was your uh, what were your what were your horror films growing up? The Shining. The Shining was my very favorite. Yeah, The Omen was probably Omen. my favorite growing up too. I just something about Damien Thorne I just found to be terrifying. And Drew looked just like him. As I a was kid. a spitting image too. <laughs> did you did you have the little Damien haircut? I you? did. I did. I didn't realize how much I looked like him, but my mom later admitted once I was an adult that she was terrified of me for a couple of years. <laughs> she thought you looked fine. Omen two, I gotta say, was it was it's one yeah. of the sequels that really is as good as the original. It really is good. It's so yes. good. The, set, the, the scene where he's in the, the military academy and the teacher starts harassing him and he just starts fucking rattling off all those dates. Oh, oh it's amazing. It is it's so great. Or the ice, the kid trapped under the ice. That oh, yeah, that scene's epic. great. Yeah. And just him, like, you know, the self-identity, you know, it's such a perfect, like, you know, kind of puberty movie. Like, the self-identity of, like, oh, my God, am I... The devil, and yeah, do like I just coming of that? age? You know, like coming of age. Do I just coming of age? That? I've been having these weird dreams. Now everyone gets those. I don't know if everyone gets these. <laughs> Are weirder than most. I, I think, think I killed a boy with my brain. You know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't just get a weird boner. Like, <laughs> like I control dogs. <laughs> do you guys get that? <laughs> it's David talking to the guidance counselor. So you know how when you go through puberty and you control Dobermans. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> you guys don't do that? That'd be such a great... That'd be such a fun sketch. Yeah, Omen, Omen was spectacular. I mean, my, my favorite... I think my favorite growing up was probably like Poltergeist. Or, I mean, not Poltergeist. Well, Poltergeist was great. Poltergeist, I don't... Entirely doesn't hold up for me, though. I saw it not that yeah. long ago. It didn't... I think it was more because of the effects. It, yeah, it, that third act where they're all popping up and stuff, it, it gets a little... Uh, but, uh, but some uh, of the blocking in that is pretty fantastic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's uh, uh, Phantasm. Uh, Phantasm. Nice. The movie that fucked me up Phantasm. so bad when I was... Good one. So bad when nice. I was a kid. Yeah. I just had nightmares of the, of the tall man. Nice. And then those like dwarf aliens like being squashed in. <laughs> oh, That's a good one. So good, so good. What uh, um, were were you guys? Uh, how far apart in age? You were four years apart. No, no a year and a half. Year and a half. Oh, you're oh, because yeah. I thought okay, so you yeah. must have taken time off and then finished school. No, I, he he was two years ahead of me, so uh, he finished school and basically moved directly out to right LA. Out. Yeah, he went to go be an investment banker. Uh, yeah, for a while. That's and uh, my dirty little secret. I spent a little time on <laughs> Wall Street. That like that was you know. Oh, he was balling. Like I was like this poor like writer living in LA, like you know, eating dog food and he was he was flying to like St. Bart's with girls and living in a pen like I mean he was he was my little brother. My dad would be like, Why can't you be more like your little brother? He's making a great living. Oh, you mean Damien? <laughs> Damien. Yeah, he sold his Clearly soul. He sold his soul. <laughs> no, when I when I told our parents that I was quitting my job and moving to LA to work with John. My dad immediately called John and said, what do you say? He's like, you leave him alone. He's, He's got a good job. <laughs> you can't ruin everyone in the family. You know, Don't drag him into your horror sketches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, but it was nice. You know, when Drew came out, Drew was like, if we're doing this work, we should be paid for it. And that's such a, I don't know, a, a, an alien concept when, you know, you start in, you know, arts and writing and stuff. And it's like, no one's paying me and I do it anyway. And I, that was helpful to have someone like, no, we, we, this should be a job, you know. You should get paid for your job. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't uh, very successful getting paid for a while, but it was <laughs> yeah, a good idea. It took a long time, but. <laughs> well, there is a certain, I mean, like, it, it's obviously, it's, in the beginning, it's good just to work however you can, start work for free, do whatever you can, learn. And at a certain point, you're like, I think I might need to get paid. <laughs> I feel like I, because there, there is the trap where once you start saying yes to stuff, then 
and then everyone's like, "Hey, we do my thing, we do my thing, we do my thing, we do my thing." And of course, you want to do all of it, but you you can't do every you can't do everything. Yeah, and and because especially because you understand that you need people to when you're helping people, you also need people to help you make your thing at the same time. So yeah. how do you uh, how do you sort of balance out? Like at a certain point, you you do you you just you want to say yes to everything, but you can't because then it starts to Im- hinder your own development. Yeah. 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 And when you're doing your own films, too, I mean, you have a mentality that you have to pay the whole crew, you have to pay actors, you have to pay everybody, at least something, but we're the only ones not getting paid. And, like, you do a few of those, and it's, you know, you just can't, can't live that way. You yeah. Know? I, I worked in, uh, if, if you're ever, if someone's ever shooting a short film or a movie and they, and they need people to work for free, the people will do it, but just a tip is get really good catering and craft service like if you feed yes, people yeah. really well you're absolutely right they will yeah. actually feel like I, I worked on something with this uh with this friend of mine once and it was a short film and no one was getting paid but she had someone there like baking and making food constantly and there was like amazing lasagna and all these desserts and everything and it completely like i, I when, whenever i go work on something that's low budge uh, and it's just, you know, like, oh, I brought a bag of Oreos or something. It's like, oh, just if you're going to invest a little bit of money, because basically what you're investing is is the spirit of the crew, which yeah. is very important. You know, yeah. you're investing in their happiness and you're also saying, like, I appreciate that you're here and I know I can't pay you, but I can at least give you good for like that's something. Yeah. It's something tangible. Yeah, that's, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. That That is critical. I remember when we were doing Poughkeepsie tapes, you know, it's very low budge. I, you know, we had we were very thinly spread so i was producing it but i was also you know handling craft services and everything <laughs> and i heard more complaints in the first week about crafty than than anything else yeah. and i'm like okay this is somewhere we need to step it up well that's when you're working all day like that's the one place where you get little moments of joy you know if you're if you're working like 12 13 hours you're yeah. like oh i could just go over there and Oh man, it's the fucking carrot tray <laughs> from Gelson's. <laughs> and there's so, there's no ranch dressing left. <laughs> I was at one. I was at a thing a couple of days ago, and it was they just had like chopped up bell peppers. Like who eats bell peppers? <laughs> just the red bell pepper slices. I will like, say the French really know how to do. Catering, yeah, like, I would holy imagine. crap! They, they, it's like a four-star restaurant every day at lunch. It's amazing. Are you, they, they actually required by union law to serve a glass of wine to everyone on the crew at lunch, which seems every day crazy here from a liability yeah. standpoint. And then we show up and our actors start getting drunk yeah. at lunch. Day two, like, okay, we got to kill this. American actors are just wasted after <laughs> lunch. Like, like okay, this is obviously the Americans are not responsible enough to handle this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. no, but they're police. They're police. Uh, they. They unionized, they like picketed because they wanted two glasses of wine at lunch every day, which is perfect. You know, the police, uh, you know, having a couple glasses of wine at lunch, you know. I, I feel like we would quickly um, bastardize that law and be like, For sure. the government mandates you do a shot, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm a cop. <laughs> I'm a cop in this bit. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> government said so. Do you like? Uh, do, do you prefer shooting, shooting overseas, or what? And how is it? How is it different than if you were? I mean, it's probably is it yeah. tough to shoot in Los Angeles, or are they making it easier? It's, no, it's pretty great. Like great Los Angeles, the people yeah. are great here, you know. But shooting abroad, there's something about like everything is so different that you know you have such a I don't know a clear perspective of it. I, I feel like I love shooting out of town just because you're not you kind of really leave your life behind and you commit to the movie and. You know, your friends aren't wondering why you didn't make it to their birthday party and why you didn't do this or that. You know, you really like, hey, I'm in Thailand. Sorry, I missed everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, a, people get it. Yeah, people get it, and they just kind of let you go for four or five months, and then you re-enter, and that's and it's a little like camp. Like you know, you're there with a bunch of people, and everyone's gone, and it's I don't know, it's it's fun and and weird, and everyone sort of has a time out on life, and and yeah, you get very you close with people. Perfect amount of time to really kind of have a new home but you don't have to fully commit to it it's you know yeah four or five months is like you really get to learn a country now you but then you just start picking you start writing movies based around where you want to go this is a horror movie that takes place at the Princeville Resort in Kauai (laughs) (laughs) and we're going to have to be there for about we've been trying to we've been trying to think of something like that it just doesn't lend itself well you know it seems to be like 
yeah, we were in Paris for the summer, but we were like in the sewers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then we were in Thailand in the heat, and uh, that was actually pretty. Thailand nice. was awesome, though. Yeah, yeah, but we keep trying to find our Hawaii project. That would yeah. be great. It's not. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's Saint Bart's thriller. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're stuck on Saint Bart's supermodel, <laughs> supermodel zombie movie. <laughs> yeah. Bart's, uh, and the Netflix would categorize that as like vacation resort thrillers. <laughs> like there'd be some real specific thing that that movie that that would that would actually have to be. I don't. Uh, uh, I haven't been to Paris in years, but it's it it's so wonderful to to feel so much history crammed into one tiny little area. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's it was cool too. Like you know, I'd be walking. You know, I brought my kids with me and walking down the street and going like, oh, when my grandfather was here in World War II, it looked exactly the same and. My great, 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 great grandkids, when they come here, you know, 500 years from now, it's going to look exactly the same. And, uh, uh, no, zombie apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, filled with zombies, but the buildings will be the <laughs> same. <laughs> zombies or robots? <laughs> zombie or robot apocalypse? <laughs> it's it's going to be one of the two. Or maybe, I, uh, maybe the robot apocalypse comes because the zombie apocalypse starts, and so we build robots to try to... <laughs> it's sort of like the Matrix, like, oh, we blocked out the sun, and then they started using us as batteries. You know, like, we're going to have a hand trying to stop the, the apocalypse, but then we're just going to make it worse because we're fucking humans and that's what we do. That's yeah, exactly what it's we true. do. <laughs> what, uh, what, when did you guys first start? Were you, were you, you were making, I assume you were making films before you got him out of the investment banking game? Yeah, we were always sort of uh, tied at that. Like, you know, when I was, I think, 14, you were 12. Uh, I started writing, but then I, you know, he, you know, we shared a room and then I'd show him what I was writing and he'd start, you know, you know, and saying, oh, why don't you move this over here and try, you know, repeating this. And, and, uh, so we started kind of collaborating at a really young age. And so we had always wanted to work together. Um, it just, uh, I, I don't think this looked like a viable, you know, a good, a good life decision at first to him. And I, I it took a little bit of, I don't know. I'm a little bit more of that kind of, you know, practical, Type and so I didn't. Uh, you grew up in Minnesota, to, you know. Making movies for a living doesn't feel like real life. Sometimes I think it took mm-hmm. a little. Uh, now it know. does, but maybe not in the nineties. But it was harder to, uh, you know. It. I mean, I remember that. I remember when it was hard to just go make a movie. Like, okay, well, I guess we get sixteen millimeter exactly. film, and yeah. we'll just run around and shoot it. And then I don't know. I guess we'll submit it to a festival or two, or what, then what yeah. happens? But back then, there was only a couple festivals. You know, there was kind of Sundance and Cannes, and you know, yeah. You know. If you didn't get into those, you kind of just shelved it. I mean, there yeah. wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of options. So, you know, our first movie together was called The Dry Spell, and that was, you know. The festival world was exploding. It was, you know, early days of digital. So we shot it digitally and we found a way to make a movie for like, you know, $35,000. So our first movie was just tiny. <laughs> yeah, that craft services, we had a bag of chips in the trunk. <laughs> that, was, that was our craft service. We were like, I don't know if there's any left. They've been open for a while. But they're in the trunk if you want them. <laughs> that, was, that was sort of miserable, but people, people had fun. Do you yeah. like, do, then is it strange to actually get money to make a movie when you're, you know, the first time you actually get money? Like, what do we do? It do was weird. This? I gotta say, like, weird. we kind of paid us, paid ourselves a little bit on Poughkeepsie tapes, but it was like us paying ourselves, you know, a tiny amount. But, but then on quarantine, that like, didn't feel real. Like when we got a check from Sony on quarantine, that was like, oh my God, someone's. Well, that and, you know, the fact that the money wasn't like, you know, with uh, the dry spell and Poughkeepsie tapes, like we were constantly like, okay. We'll we'll give you all checks, but don't cash them till like next week. <laughs> we swear They're postdated, to be good. you know. And Drew would be There's like a lot of that. Yeah. We, I remember you went skiing and you kept getting, you know, the the extra service. Uh, actually, gave Drew cell number to all oh the God. extras because we were late on that. So they're all. You know, I was getting death threats. I mean, I, I he was, literally told everyone it was going to be one week late, and of course, I'm sure they hear that all the time, and it's never true. And in our case, it was true. We were we were very much going to pay them, but I was waiting on an investor check or whatever. And uh, I took a little post-wrap ski vacation, and uh, I was getting like 100 calls a day from... I don't know if you ever worked with non-union extras, too. They're, they're a it's motley like, bunch. By the way, uh, yeah, it's like, you were on ski vacation. <laughs> I know. Sorry, I can't I pay. Know. Let me just uh, hit these slopes, and uh, when I get to the bottom of the hill, we'll see what's going on with that check. Uh, yeah, two more rounds of drinks, and... Oh, are you still on the phone? Shit. Uh, yeah, just hang on. I, hang on. I recognize the irony. <laughs> You're ruining my scheme occasion. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Your need to eat is ruining my good time. Well, it was like 50 bucks a person, too. I'm like, clearly, you know, you're not uh, missing your rent check, I hope, based on my $50. Well, it's, uh, it's funny to me that a movie, it's, I, I don't know what other business, I can't, even, I can't really think of another example where the, a movie costs essentially whatever you have to make it. It's either going to cost thirty five thousand dollars, or if someone gives you a hundred million, you'll figure out how to spend a hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah, totally. on a, the same, essentially the same story. Well, no, it's true, it's true. But I mean, when you're doing but, it like in that zone, doing your own films on that same ski vacation, I also had about ninety seven thousand dollars on my Amex. That was, you know, you live with this. Like, oh, so you're like, what's another grand? Oh my god! I mean, that was not something I could afford by any means. It was just bridging the movie just to keep it alive and, and waiting for money to come in. I mean, you live with this just incredible amount of stress that you're going to yeah, be ruined. Then, and then on quarantine, when you know it was paid for by the state, like to not worry about money, like in the same way, like not worry about like, oh my god, we're out of money. Like we can't let anyone know. Like how do we keep this going? You know, and finish the movie, and can we finish it? Like. To not have that a uh, part of the job, it was like, oh wow, we can focus on making a film and not, you know, spend half the day this, trying to figure out, you know, house of cards that you're trying to keep intact. I mean, it yeah. really it frees you up tremendously. Or like the yeah. show House of Cards, which had like millions of dollars per episode <laughs> <laughs> to make a television show. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys ever want to? Uh, no, so. With the types of films that you make, has it ever did, did has it ever occurred to you like, oh, we should take these stories and expand them and do and you know like. Do a television series, like do a series, or do you just do you just like the process of do you like telling stories in like you know ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes? You know, I, I really love that the ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes. Like that zone feels really good. You know, uh, we'd love to do something in TV. Just you know, the chance to really explore a character and really dig in and, and develop something over time. I, I think it would be really fun. We we haven't quite found the right thing yet. Yeah, that would be really fun. It's really. Getting a TV show made is really difficult, as I'm sure you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, the process of pitching it and, you know, getting a pilot greenlit and then getting a series picked up. I mean, there's just so many levels of, of um, you know, acceptance you need to get to have a show really go, whereas, you know, a film is hard to get made, but, you know, it's all in one script. It's either going to get greenlit or not, or you're going to get financed or not, and it's it, it makes more sense to us, I think. How's the notes process go in film? Does, is it... Like script read, obviously, you, you know, do a table read, you'll probably get notes and you'll do another draft and then you'll probably get notes. But then as you're shooting, are they still coming in and giving you notes or are they, you're, you're, I assume you're getting notes as they're seeing dailies or do they, do you get left alone? It really depends on the movie, I guess. Yeah, it depends on the movie. Like, you know, quarantine, the studio is very involved, you know, and, uh, whereas, you know, these last couple, you know, they, they, it's been as really above, nice yeah. as above in the coup, like we, we sort of got to do our own thing on the coup. We were in Thailand. There was no producers there. There was, you know, uh, I think David Lancaster was watching dailies, but more like, great, looks yeah. great. You know, more just thumbs up. And we, we got lucky on that one in that we were with a, a great financier that trusted us a lot, but they also had, you know, they were having an explosion of other projects going on. So they were very thinly spread, which, mm-hmm. you know, was good for us. And, yeah. and with legendary, they, you know, it was a small movie for them. They had, you know, Godzilla and they had, you know, Pacific Rim. So our little movie was kind of, Kind of under the radar a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So they also have uh, this company called Nerdist, which uh, which they, which you know it costs a billion dollars a year to run. <laughs> so they really, you know, they really have to focus in. Yeah. So I'm sorry if we took, <laughs> took some of their attention dollars away we from you, it. like we were on a ski vacation, <laughs> and, <you guys. laughs> and we couldn't pay our rent. Fifty four dollars. Let them so eat snow. <laughs> I'll them some from atop my castle. You're on this alpine hill. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about uh, what is it about horror that you like why besides the fact that you're fans of horror like what what specifically is fun about that type of storytelling yeah it's fun to see people at their limits you know it's, there's such drama and there's such you know to see people in crisis you really learn so much about people and how they react like I don't know I find that such a fascinating part of life and uh, and it's yeah it's fun to explore that in films yeah, it's fun. I think people put themselves in the character's shoes a lot in horrors or thrillers of, you know, what would you do in this crisis? How would you react? And, and just to see the, the visible reaction of audiences when watching your movie is really, you know, I'm sure it's similar for comedy, seeing people, you know, 
connect and laugh at your movie, you know, hopefully. It is, but it's hard, but you know, the more the more at horror sort of the same way, it sort of horror relies on a little bit of magic trick the same way comedy does, which is mm-hmm. you have to surprise your audience and and so how do you when so many things have been like every time another thing gets made, that's another way that that was done and so you're painted more and more into a corner of like well how do we surprise audiences or how do we present these ideas to them and or shock or scare them in ways that you know they don't go oh yeah saw that coming oh yeah oh yeah well of course oh now this part you know where the audience basically just turns into you know scream where they're narrating it essentially along with the movie yeah i think sort of the key is character like if you if you really believe the characters you're really you know in it with them, I think then you'll, you know, you're, you're more on the ride than, you know, and I think often like horror films, especially don't, don't take the time to really dig into character. And, uh, I think that helps a lot. Well, do you ever, is there another genre that you guys want to play around with? Yeah. With our, with our next film, uh, the coup, we, which is coming out in March. Uh, we, we go more into, it's more of a survival tale. It's like a, a thriller. It's uh, more in that space. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's still you know someone in crisis. It's still kind of a crisis movie, uh, but it's it's not horror. It's more thriller. You guys seem like nice, polite, well-adjusted young men. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you, thank you. <laughs> horror people tend to be pretty normal, I think. Yeah, horror they really are, are actually pretty, pretty sweet people generally. Yeah. They really, really, really are. Yeah. And I no. wonder. I wonder why it's the comedy people who get a little wackaloo. <laughs> oh, the comedy people! Well, right? First of all, the fact that you just said wackaloo means that <laughs> you should be directing horror movies because you're ultra normal. That's a very is that a, <laughs> comedy people are way more fucked up than horror people. They are. They totally are. I wonder why that is. I, I guess maybe you know maybe horror people sort of recognize like oh yeah none of this isn't real but. You know, and also there's a there is a kind of a layer of separation because you're creating a fantasy world, whereas mm-hmm. comedy people are really dealing with fucking issues, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's where comedy's coming from. I think so. I think you know I've noticed like with writing, I write darker stuff when I'm feeling really good, and like lighter stuff when I'm feeling really dark, and uh, and uh, so yeah, that's I, I you know I I think there's a little bit of a release like a pressure valve that. If you're feeling dark all the time, you need comedy to, you know, to lighten it up. Whereas, yeah, there's a lot of days on set on horror films, too, that just feel like being a kid. You know, you get to play with blood and, like, gore and things like that. (laughs) Like, everybody just gets, you know, their their inner child comes out a lot. It's, it's, I don't know. What's your favorite type of effect? Or what's your favorite way to kill someone in a movie? Ooh. Ooh. Quarantine. Stacy. Oh yeah. Killing, you know, it was a, you know, quarantine was a like found footage thing. We, we actually killed my wife with the, the lens of the camera. So it smashed her face in and <laughs> with the lens of the face. camera. And uh, yeah, we kill her in every movie and uh, that's kind of our running gag. But that you one know, was, I that one my was favorite, the best. Yeah. Yeah. And she, of course she has, she's cool with this, right? Oh, she loves it. It's, a, loves it's it. a weird badge of honor to, I mean, I know as, a performer, you're like, oh, I want to survive till the end because then I have more scenes. But it's, I've I've done a horror movie and it's it's such a badge of honor to get killed really hard in a horror movie for sure. Yeah, and everybody you know who you know people that are not actors or extras by trade, but everyone of course wants to be an extra in a movie and everybody wants to be a corpse. Everybody, yeah. really, like people you would never expect, you know, and, like and they all want to be naked. They, they all want to like, be naked. If you need me to be naked, that's okay. <laughs> you're like I'll do that. Like, like people, you'd be like, dude, I don't want to see you naked. Dad, no one wants to see you naked. Nobody Thanks, Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like all, uh, totally, t- totally the wrong people. Not nobody you'd ever want to see naked. But like, if you need a corpse, I'm happy to do it, and I'll get naked. Even. <laughs> like no. <laughs> I want me to get naked and dead. (laughs) Why would you have to be naked? Like, why couldn't you just be dead? I don't know. I think it's a weird thing. We've gotten that offer. Cut, put your pants back on. (laughs) We've gotten that offer more times than you can imagine. I got really hot and then I died. (laughs) Took off all my clothes and then... What's the problem? The problem is I can see your dick in the shot. <laughs> now I can never not see that. It's burned. You just see the, it's like if you stare at a hot light. And you just, you see like, there's just like a, a purple dong imprint in my field of vision forever. It's uh, I, 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 I always... Horror is, I think, 
so uh, helped by the fact that you can, I mean, obviously you can do super high techie effects, but just like watching people get creative with the, with the type of, you know, that's why I think it's low budget sci-fi I think is a lot harder because there, there does, you do need to have a believable element of, you know, like whatever the, the sci-fi gag is, mm-hmm. but with horror you can get, su- I think you can really get super creative with like, let's mix this and this, and then we can create these wounds or we can create this effect or like, it, I think mm-hmm. it forces, uh, and and with budgetary constraints, I think it forces people to have to be more creative, and that ultimately yeah. r- help raises the genre if you can do it right. It's true, and you can get like super like artsy and weirdo in horror in a way that you couldn't in any other genre without without it tipping into like like okay, that's that's weird or that's too artsy. You know, with horror, you can really sort of do whatever. I mean, as long as it fits the the parameters you set in the film. Yeah. Do you uh, do you like do you, you do you like so you like to watch the test screenings? You like to watch? Are you watching the audience? Or are you watching the movie? The audience. The I, audience I mean, yeah. it's it's one part feeling the energy in the room and feeling like okay, I'm seeing a lot of people shuffling or drinking water now, or you know, it, it's you sort of watch the body language and and yeah, and and feeling the energy. Like you can feel it when everyone's you know tapped in. Yeah, you learn a lot from those screenings we had on our first movie was a comedy actually, and then we made the Poughkeepsie tapes, which is about a serial killer and. Of course, we invited all these festival people that knew us from our first movie to the test screening, and we had a couple moments up top of the movie originally that were kind of funny. There were, you know, kind of funny characters that we interview, and then we like kill a seven-year-old, you know, eight <laughs> minutes into the movie. <laughs> one, of the, one of the first cards I read said, "I didn't think it was very funny to, you know, killing kids isn't very funny or something like that." Was, you know, we realized a lot of people came into the movie thinking it was a comedy, and we're like, "Okay, we need to." We need to we really need to scrap, you know, anything that's even remotely funny. Yeah, we need to change the score and take out some funny things. Because you know, like <laughs> in, in your head, you know where it's going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you you forget sometimes, like the audience doesn't know. Yeah, it's like yeah. a nervous we had laughter. Like, was like, that supposed to be funny? Yeah, we, we lost the hammer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we did. We genuinely, we really did. Now, did you? When how many kids do you have? Two. Do you have kids? I don't have any kids. No. So. Were, was it? Did you get weirder about murdering people once you had kids? Or because sometimes people will get a little, they get a little more squeamish once they have children. You know, it's funny. Like you know, I, I'd always worry. Like you, you see all these comedians like suddenly become not funny when they have kids. I was like, oh, I hope I hope I don't get soft. You know, when I have kids, and so I, you know, I tried very hard to, you know, and it, it turns out, you know, it didn't soften me up. But I definitely had to focus on turning off that side of my creative brain when I was at home, you know, like imagining the kids dead and like, what if you strangled it? You know, I had to be like, okay, stop doing that. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that stressed me out, but, uh, but no, I yeah, think he I didn't think change at all. I was a little worried about that too. Cause you know, our Thailand movie, the coup was about, you know, a family with two young daughters and, you know, in massive peril. And, uh, you know, that was written before John had kids. And I wondered sometimes like, would we still write something like that now? But it's really pretty unchanged. It helps yeah. that John's wife is as twisted as he is. Yeah, she is. Now that means are your kids going to turn out like, are they, are you going to be upset if your kids are like, we don't like horror dad. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, actually Henry, it was funny. Uh, uh, we just did a press thing in Paris and we dumped the kids uh, or let the kids stay with my mom. And, uh, we just left the kids uh, in the catacombs <laughs> and just let them run around. And Henry came back and he's like, I watched the most amazing movie. Sharks get sucked up into the sky and then fall all over. And he's five years old. This gets five years old. He's like, and then they're eating people. Sharknado, and I was like, the magic like, of Sharknado. And he's like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, I don't think you should be watching that. You're five. And he's like, that's ah, fine, dad. You know? So, I mean, he's, he's down for it. But Maggie, my, my two-year-old uh, is not in, into, she uh, hates our trailers. I bet if you're five, Sharknado is fucking mind bending. Amazing. Uh, I yes. mean, the best movie ever. What? Yeah. That, because in your mind, that could happen yeah. if you're five. Why couldn't it happen? Totally. And the if a tornado. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> if a tornado just sucked up a bunch of sharks, that's exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. I mean, it's totally... I mean, we watch it ironically, but to a five-year-old, it's like, this is science. Yeah, totally. Like, this is, this is a documentary. This is, this, is, this is what could happen. Yeah, man. It, it's fun to see. Like, magic happens in his world. Like, magic... Like, he asked me if, like, when you listen to a shell, if you can hear the ocean, because there's a, 
magical invisible wire that connects the two i'm like that's awesome that's yeah. awesome that that is the 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 best explanation yes, that's the reason yeah. <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> tornadoes suck up sharks and you know it's pretty pretty awesome do you ever do you think you'll get to a point where you're like hey kiddo what do you think of this idea you know do you do you do you ever have you, or have you started to mine him for uh information about oh yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. i do that i i pitch stuff to him and and uh and uh, he gives me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Often he's at that age though. He'll always have a better idea. So I'll pitch something to him. And he'll be like, no, no, no. What you need to do is this. And then he'll start pacing back and forth. It's like a little version of me. And I just annoy the shit out of myself. <laughs> I wonder what happened. I mean, obviously, I'd, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't work. But wouldn't it be fun just for a month? Just to just to let like a rambunctious kid pick what movies are going to get made, and just see what happens. <laughs> you know, it probably wouldn't be much different. These are ideas, like, <laughs> I bet I, it'd be better than. It's but, like a TV set. Do you remember that movie, a TV set? Yeah. Where Sigourney Weaver always like goes to her like eleven year old daughter, and she basically makes the decision to green light shows or not. Like, I feel like it's kind of like that. I know? mean, if, yeah. you know. I, I feel like that the, there has there's a crazy billionaire somewhere that needs to just do these types of social experiments, yeah, just to see what happens. You know, so often it's like these corporate entities. Like I, I trust a kid's judgment better than the you know more than the the numbers of things. Yeah, because you know? a, a kid isn't chasing a trend, or they're not trying to. They don't care about what they think other people will like. They just know what they like. Yeah, and they only like stuff that they think is awesome. And if they don't think it's awesome, they have no interest whatsoever. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty, it's a pretty pass or fail kind of a true. kind of a, a test. Yeah, because I know that when they were, um, you know, when they were, you know, scientifically building Sesame Street, and they would put these kids in a room, and they know immediately what kids don't like because they just lose interest. Yeah, that's how they. You know, that's how they know. Like, oh, okay, and then they they learn by doing this, and by doing that. Like, you know, why? Why? They're, they're a perfect test. They're a perfect test audience. Mm-hmm. They are. They're... Maybe not for the types of yeah. movies that could be a lot of like buddies movies, like the the little golden retriever movies. <laughs> like, you know, be a whole lot of golden retriever <laughs> movies. You know, and then and then it just turns into like a slash a slasher flick. <laughs> like <laughs> one of the dog awesome. one of the dogs goes crazy. <laughs> what do you think of this movie, kid? It's a <laughs> Golden Retriever getting its throat cut. Yeah. That's like Milo and Otis meets Hostel. <laughs> what? The kettle, what do you yeah. want to pitch that just to see what the, what the executive was like? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like kill shelter. <laughs> oh. There you go. I mean. There you go. It makes itself. Right there. No, because pe- you know what? The problem is that. People could watch other people get killed a million times, but you, but but animals, I just can't. No, that's it like makes, a cardinal sin. It can't just it makes me so sad. Can't kill a dog. Yeah, one of the. I'm waiting for someone to give the ice bucket challenge to their dog and see like how people react to that. Well, I don't even. I can't even watch <laughs> like when animals are get needy in a movie. Like I, I can't. I yeah. get so upset. It, or even like, you know, there's a scene in Lost. Where Walt's being taken away, and the dog jumps in and starts swimming after them, and it just unhinged me. I'm like, yeah. oh, the dog's trying to help, and he wants to. God damn it! Like, like, like animals, animals trying to do stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's animals a huge bummer to me. Yeah, animals too. On set, I remember reading an Ethan Cohen quote about raising Arizona. He's like, you know. The dogs, like you have, you know, all these handlers and you have all these restrictions and everything. Oh, like, yeah. These babies, we can just do whatever we want. <laughs> it's, it's the animals you gotta, you gotta really pay attention to. That's, do you ever, uh, if, were you, when you look at Raising Arizona, do you ever go, I wanna make a movie like that? Or do you go, you know, that's just not, that's unachievable I, because that's just so what they do. It's That's pretty so, awesome. It's so what yeah. they do. I mean, it would be great to make a movie in that. Yeah, we'd love to do a comedy at some point yeah. and, of that ilk. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you do? How do you tackle that sort of surreal kind of comedy that is somehow really far out, but somehow grounded at the same time? Yeah, that'd be so hard. It's such a difficult tonal thing to you know tonal tightrope yeah. to walk like. And they do it so well. It would be so hard to. It'd be so hard to. It would. I mean, they're so good. So great at character, and they're so great at casting too. I mean, you have to get just exceptional actors in those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, uh, 
do you think that you is there a certain budget range that you think I don't know if I ever want to make a two hundred million dollar movie like is, is it do you, would you like the pressure would you like the pressure of that or do you think like no I think I'd rather because there's something nice about having some restrictions. There is. There's there something is. nice about, and there's something nice about not having to appeal to absolutely everyone in the world. You know, right. if you make a two hundred million dollar movie, you have everyone in the world has to like it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, little kids and old women. You know, like everyone has to like. And it. you have a, and, you know, an entire studio all over you when you're making it. I think that would be. I don't know. That'd be a less pleasant filmmaking experience. I think. Yeah, we like sort of doing our own kind of homemade, you know, kind of you know family shop kind of thing, and it, it's really nice. Having some freedom, not worrying that everyone in the world has to like it. Just some people have to really like it, right? And uh, I don't know that that I feel like you can get more specific and more uh, do stuff that means more to us. You know, our agent keeps telling us like, you guys don't want to, you know, make twenty million dollar movies the whole you know the rest of your career, do you? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's actually <laughs> that's awesome. it sort of sounds that's awesome, kind of awesome. You know, like yeah. you know, I could see doing a big one if it was ours and it was something we really felt connected to, but. It, you know, that's a two or three year commitment. And, uh, when those don't go well, you know, and horror is, is one of those genres where you really can, you could make a $3 million movie and it could open at number one and, you know, make $60 million the first weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's somehow horror is a genre that can fast track directors or Pete or, 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 you know, and I, I wonder why, I, I just I, I can never figure out like what it is specifically about horror that allows people to you know that uh, that a, a, a low budget movie could all of a sudden just open at that level. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's, I'm surprised that comedies don't have that. Like, because I you know I think like well if something scares you it scares you and and people show up to that and if it has a good concept they'll show up. But with comedies too, like I would think that would translate to comedies as well because the two are, are really forgiving. similar. They're similar, but people are less forgiving with comedy. Yeah, and you know, there's only and they're. You know, I think there are a million ways to tackle a joke that can miss. Yeah. And only yeah. a couple right ways to do it. But with horror, there are, you know, it's like there are a handful of general things that just scare the shit out of everyone. Yeah. yeah. And you can do so much more with filmmaking in horror than in, you know, we in comedy, like the actor has to be on that day and nail it or it doesn't work. There's nothing you can do as a filmmaker, very little you can do as a filmmaker to change the edit or, you know, it, it just. It has to be, you know, the actor. Whereas, you know, you can do so much, you know, like you goose the sound in horror, you do a slow push in or whatever you do. You, you, you can know. just go throw some more blood on that joke. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be fine. Yeah, there's so many ways to fuck up a comedy. Your lighting can fuck up a comedy. Your shot can fuck it up. The score can fuck it up. The actor can fuck it up. Like there's the other actors can fuck up. the Like there's so many different ways for a comedy to not work. It's true. That it's actually surprising that it works as much as it does. Yeah, that's true. true. But I, I agree with you, though. I, I wouldn't think comedy would be so star-driven. You know, like, you know, genre films can break out. And, you know, there's countless examples. But you look back in the last 20 years in comedy, it's really, you know, Napoleon Dynamite and Clerks are really the two kind of, like, <laughs> out of nowhere, you know, successes in comedy. And that, yeah. you wouldn't think it's so star-driven, but it really, it yeah. is. Well, I think um, it's sort of, I, I think people are more driven... I think they're I think they're more driven by fear. I mean, you know, like that that rush than they are the ha 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 like something has to be so fucking so funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't I mean, you know, before before Borat hit like critical mass, I mean I saw an I saw a test screening of it and no one had re, like you hadn't you weren't really familiar with the character yet and it was so I mean People were falling out of seats, and so you just knew <laughs> that movie. Oh well, this so is funny. gonna, you know, people are gonna talk about this and this. But, but the level that a movie has to achieve as a comedy in order to get that kind of, you know, you have to see this fucking movie. Yeah. But a horror movie, you can be like, oh fuck, I just, I almost shit my pants. I got to tell every, you know, like it's just a different. I feel like it's easier to motivate people right. by scaring the crap out of them than to, you know, than trying to guess. Because what's funny to people is so specific yeah and most people are not going to agree on what's funny but more people will agree on what is is scary yeah i think you're right that's true and it becomes almost like a dare you know you, you know this movie was so scary you gotta go see it because you know it almost becomes a dare like oh you know I, i'm brave enough to do this too whereas a comedy it's 
you just don't quite get that that maybe that as well. Yeah. Did any of the actors for, see? I feel like if I were shooting in the catacombs, if you took me like six stories down, I'd start to get real claustrophobic. One of them, yes. You know, we we did a uh, what we were calling a wardrobe test. We're like, let's make sure nobody's going to freak out down there. And so we did this like wardrobe test, uh, like two days before shooting, and we realized one of the actors uh, didn't like being down there much. He, he, he was obviously uncomfortable. And uh, like two days later, we had him a scene where he's like stuck in this section, and he's stuck on these bones, and he can't move. And, it's and uh, the most claustrophobic scene in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was his scene, of course. And he nailed like it was so like he was so good at playing. I mean, we were six stories down. He's like literally jammed into this hole and uh, use it. And uh, yeah, totally, we used it, and uh, he was so good. Like all the other actors were like, "Oh shit, we're gonna have to bring it if we're gonna you know get up to that level." No, I thought I was going to die. I really thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> keep rolling, keep rolling. Do you fuck with the actors at all to try to get more real performances out of them, or do you just, or you just trust the... I wouldn't say e- fuck with them, but we do, we do some things. We you know? do some things. We try, like, you know, there's a character, Latope, who so- shows up halfway through the movie, and, and uh, we intentionally, we, we set him up totally separately, so the cast never saw him until we were actually filming. We were down there, and, and he showed up in, in the take, and that's the first time they ever saw him, so... Their reactions to him are are more real. We you know we do things like that, but it's not that it's not like a you know we'll you know boat horn the actors mid mid scene you know that <laughs> 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 we've totally we've considered we it. You know? <laughs> we actually we actually did boat horn. There's a scene where they're on this church and and we need all these you know the people of Paris like the bells start ringing and everyone like looks up you know because these bells have never rung in you know a hundred years. And they're like, well, we can't afford that many extras. I was like, just get me a boat horn. <laughs> and we went up on this church in Paris, and we just boat horned, like, right off the this. John know. just emptied the whole can in one shot. It yeah. was, uh, and we got all these, you know, Parisians to look up. and 400 extras for free on that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most obnoxious American tourists ever. <laughs> this is what they do. <laughs> they come over here with their boat horns. <laughs> it was so fun. It was. Really John was cackling like a like a yeah. kid. It was amazing. Yeah. This is why we hate them. <laughs> Would you like to send us a Bud Light up to you? <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't experience like Parisian hate when I was over there. I thought they were actually very nice. Like it they're was very like, nice. They're delightful. A French crew explained it. You know, Leo, our cinematographer, explained it to me once. He's like, "You think they're being rude to you." But you should see how they treat each other. Like, how the <laughs> Parisians treat each other is much, much worse. And so uh, we take it personally, but I think it's just kind of a... Well, I also, at the time <laughs> I was there, my the, my girlfriend at the time spoke French. And so it's, I think she was given more respect. It's like, oh, you actually don't just speak your language and expect us to conform to you. You know, like they felt yeah. that she had made an effort. And so they were very respectful. They were very respectful. Yeah. I was just, yeah. I was just absorbing... All the work that she had done. <laughs> That's the way to do Drafting it. off of that. No. It's the American way. If you make even a, a yeah. poor attempt, it really goes a long way. We. Yeah. <laughs> Where's McDonald's? <laughs> well, uh, what's what are your next stops before? Are, are you is, are you pretty much done with all of the press stuff? On the press stuff, uh, we've got five or six more over the next couple of days. But yeah. we really had our big junket in Paris. That was the the big one, and then Comic Con, of course. And yeah, so good. good. Comic-Con How was Comic Con for you? It, was, it was awesome. It was uh, we did Hall H, which was a Terrifying. a new thing, and you know, for about a month leading up to it, I was like, maybe I could be sick. <laughs> maybe like maybe I don't have to do that. Chobot hosted um, that, right? Jessica yes, Chobot. she did. Yeah, yeah. She's great. She's, She's great. Awesome. She's so cool. She's awesome. We we got to be on a panel with Guillermo and Michael Mann and, and Duncan Jones. It was really cool. Nice. Yeah, we had a good good panel. Yeah. Well, uh, I sincerely hope the movie does well. Thank uh, you so much. And when and coup comes out next year, March sixth. March sixth. Wow, twenty fifteen. Yep. that is a tight turnaround. Yeah, yeah. We sort of made the two movies at the same time, which was a uh, yeah, that was something. Yeah, we had a seven week director's cut of Azabod between Paris and Thailand, so it was tight. Holy mm-hmm. shit! Yeah. yeah, and then we did post on both simultaneously, and you know, so it was a, it was a crazy year, but really an amazing and fun year. 
So then you have another one in May, and then another one next <laughs> September, and then another one. God willing. Well, they, you know, the the breaks will take themselves. You know, we'll we'll just keep working as hard as we can until. Well, you a couple of nice Minnesota boys. I hope everything goes well for you, so you can go back home to St. Paul and be like, "Suck my dick, fuckers." <laughs> Fuck you and your guitar shops and your fucking. See <laughs> a viral video of us riding the the big cock and uh, you know, <laughs> drunk downtown Minneapolis. And you could just just <laughs> pay some drunk to dress up as Minnesota and then just be like, "Suck this dick," and he's like, "I don't know." Yep. Yeah. So I hope you guys get to do that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Too. That'd be fun. <laughs> sure everyone would appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Daddles. Nice to see you. Enjoy Thank you so much, everyone. Chris. Thank you so much. All right. The end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.